Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. Maybe. I'm Drea, uh, your co-host. I am a professor by day and a wino by promptly 2 p.m. Uh, I got into wine as an intellectual project when I would travel as a way not to feel dead inside. But for the time being, I'm based in Southern California, but mentally, spiritually, and drunkenly always in Spain. And I'm Anne. I'm a pandemic cat mom and a wine enthusiast who likes to learn things. I don't know a ton about wine, but I am always excited when there's a glass in my hand. I'm based here in New York City across the street from a spooky cemetery. And spiritually, I am wherever there is wine and wherever my co-host Drea is. Oh, so what you can expect from this podcast is uh, a fun, not fancy conversation about wine. We are not Psalms, uh, but we are two opinionated bitches. Absolutely. We have a lot of opinions about all the things. And for the purposes of this podcast, that plenty qualifies us to drink what we think is going to be really good or a real porch pounder or, you know, just a real good time and talk about it. Yeah, so imagine that we're all hanging out with you, sitting on your couch, watching the Discovery Channel, drinking wine. That's that's sort of what the picture of this podcast is, if you need a mental image. Each episode, we'll pop open a different bottle of wine and explore the varietal, the region, the winemaker, and the winemaking process. We may even offer some pairings, like what book would this go well with? What kind of cheese might you drink with this wine? So, Drea, why are we starting a podcast and why now? At the core of this is we really like to drink wine. I mean, I think fundamentally, too, is our shared belief that wine shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't be unapproachable. It shouldn't be this exclusive activity where you can only be right or wrong you know, we want wine drinking to be something that's easy and fun and that we can all kind of do with confidence to build our own narratives about our relationship with wine, because ultimately wine's about a story and a story that each bottle tells. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think my favorite memories about wine are about the people that I'm drinking it with and what I'm doing. And, you know, I think it's just it's it's going to be a good time here. Since this is our first episode, we thought it would be kind of fun to talk about some of our wine first, just as a way to get to know each other. And again, because wine, it, well, I mean, I guess we already know each other, but as a way for all of you to get to know us. And again, wine is one of those things that's so referential. It's about, as Anne said, you know, where you are, who you're with, what you're doing. And so we thought it would be fun to walk that wine memory lane uh, or what can we can remember of it anyway. So, Anne, let's uh, talk about some of your wine first. What was the first wine you ever drank? So if I'm being honest, I probably have to go back to the like sips of wine that I had as a kid. My parents both uh, drank wine at home, weren't super big 
into it, but would have a glass of red, you know, now and again. And my dad also has a history with Spain. So very often it was some kind of Spanish wine. And honestly, all that I really remembered about this wine was that it came with a little plastic bowl on the bottle, like a little toy bowl, which is like exactly what I want for my wines. I want, I want a wine and a toy. Uh, It's like a wine happy meal. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, so I looked it up and this wine is, well, I kind of remembered that the name had Del Toro in it, but it's actually Sangre del Toro. And knowing my parents, it was probably just the basic, like their basic house red. And as a kid, I just thought it was super sour because I was a kid, I was not used to alcohol. But like, as I remember it now, it's sort of sweet and rich and kind of has this fruity flavor to it. But just sort of your classic, like, this is a red wine was probably where I got my my start. What about you? um, My first bottle was, this is embarrassing. This isn't nearly as cute as Anne's story. It comes in like a clay jar. Uh, It's called Lancers. It's real bad. And it was a rosé, which is, interestingly enough, our selection for today's episode. Not the Lancers, the rosé. But, you know, my parent, I must have been about 15, 16, and my parents had the bottle of this and they poured me a glass. And I just remember thinking it was so gnarly. It was like gross, decomposing fruit juice. And I'm pretty sure if I drank it today, I would have that same impression of this bottle. It was really sweet. And I I am convinced that my parents gave this to me so I would not turn into a wino. <laughs> Outsmarted again. Well, yeah. I mean, that that clearly did not work out as they planned no, because here no. we are starting a wine podcast. So what was the first, what was the first bottle you remember purchasing? Oh God. Okay. Well, um, so for a long time, especially when I was in school and then in grad school and we had no money, it was like, what's cheap and drinkable. And so the first bottle I probably purchased, you know, like at a shop was um, Trader Joe's illustrious iconic Charles Shaw two buck chuck because she old so then it really was two buck chuck at that time and yeah I I mean I used to get that stuff by the case it was just like great on my way to Trader Joe's gonna get some frozen veggie nuggets gonna get some chips probably some oatmeal Oh, and just six bottles of this. It's fine. I'm fine. Uh, So yeah, that was probably the first bottle I purchased. But how about you? What was your first bottle you remember purchasing? The first bottle that I remember purchasing, I was a junior in college, so I just turned 21. But later that spring, um, another friend was having a birthday, and we all went to dinner at Cozy Noodle in Evanston, Illinois, and had Thai food. And she asked us to bring a couple of bottles of, or jugs, really, of Carlo Rossi. And I, I don't even remember it being bad. I just remember the atmosphere of, like, that birthday dinner and that sort of spring, spring day. Yeah. At that point, it doesn't matter if the wine is bad. Also, you don't know any better anyways. Yeah, exactly. Wasn't wasted. 
what was the first adult bottle of wine? And then I also want, before I have to answer the question, I also want you to explain what does like adult mean to you in the context of wine? So I think for me, the, the, so the first thing I want to say is that the difference is not and should not be price point. You don't have to spend a fortune on a really good bottle of wine. I think that's one of the great fallacies about wine drinking is, you know, it has to be an expensive bottle. There are so many good bottles of wine out there that are really well-priced. And once you get out of the United States wine market, wine becomes so much more accessible at various price points, like good wine. But for me, an adult bottle of wine is the first time you drink a wine that I like to say kind of makes your like tongue slap your brain a little bit where you're just like, whoa, where it goes from mm, sitting here at this party and I'm drinking a glass of wine to what is this? What's in it? What what are all these different things I taste in my mouth and why am I so intrigued by this mystery that's swirling around in my glass? You know, it's a wine that makes you you think and makes you pause and makes you question all of your life choices and who you are in the most existential way possible. So that's what an adult bottle of wine signals for me. Also, you know, it doesn't need to be that complicated. I like to overcomplicate things. So it could just be a wine you really enjoyed on a level you didn't know was possible. That kind of awakening wine. So what's that What's that wine for you? Uh, I was actually at an Indian restaurant up in Berkeley, California, and Uh, They had amazing food and it was a super nice place. I used to go there a lot with my then boyfriend, now husband, and with some girlfriends who, you know, we all lived in the dorms together. And then after that, we would always go out like once a month for a nice dinner. And so this bottle, and I don't remember the name of it. I the winery must be out of business now because I did some research and I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. But it, I do remember it was a Sauvignon Blanc from South Africa. And even then, you know, as I was just buying my two buck check by the case, I was never buying white wines. I wasn't buying Chardonnay. I wasn't buying Sauvignon Blanc. I was buying Cabernet, Pinot Noir, the reds, the sexy reds, right? I was not a white wine drinker, but I remember that this particular wine was so interesting. It had such a beautiful brightness to it. It perfectly complemented you know, the the smokiness of the tiki marsala that I was eating. It was smooth and delicious. And I just wanted to know more about that particular wine. And I remember looking for it in wine stores up there and could never find a bottle retail. And now it's just kind of like that, you know, mythical unicorn that's going to elude me till I die probably. But um, it was the first bottle that made me think. How about you? What was your first gander into the world of wine? So... I feel like I am still maybe waiting for that elusive life-changing bottle that you've just just described. Maybe we'll find it on this podcast here. 
the bottle that came to mind when you asked me sort of like what, what my first adult bottle of wine was, was um, a bottle of Cava, probably Campo Viejo. I don't really remember, but I did have to look it up. Like we said earlier, wine doesn't have to be fancy. Wine can be inexpensive, uh, but it was, oh, we were- I we, love a Cava. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. Like, don't get it confused here. Anyway, so we were living in our first apartment and it was after college and I really, it was really important to me to have a bottle of wine to celebrate special occasions. Like it was really, I wanted to, I, I wanted to have a bottle of wine that I could pop open when I paid a big chunk of my student loans, when I got my first job, real job, like all of those things. I, I really wanted something celebratory that would um, help me mark those occasions. And so that was, I went to, I've, I've liked bubbly wine, um, that's probably my favorite kind. And I, I love a Spanish wine. So a cava, a cava is definitely more interesting to me than a champagne. And so that was what I went to was just having some cava on hand for those early celebrations in young adulthood. Oh, I love cava. It's so good. Yeah, we're definitely going to have lots of bubbles on the show, I think. Yeah. So what was the what was the bottle that made you realize, oh, I am a wino? So... It was actually a sparkling. Yay. Yep. Um, It was, we were out to dinner at a Spanish restaurant in Los Angeles for my husband's birthday. And I had, I had actually tried to order a bottle of really nice aged cava there for dinner and they were out. So the psalm came over and, you know, said, oh, I'm really sorry. We're out of this bottle that you wanted. Can I recommend this other bottle, though? I think you'll really like it. Yada, yada, yada. I said, sure, let's do this thing. And so what he brought over, um, and we'll absolutely visit this one uh, in future episodes, was a bottle of Bermejos, which is a vineyard in Lanzarote, one of the Canary Islands uh, in Spain. And it's a super volcanic island. Their wines are insanely delicious. Um, I didn't know any of that at the time, but I, as Anne will tell you, am always down to clown, especially when it comes to wines. So it's a Bermejos Malvasia sparkling wine, and it is insane. It's just it's you want to talk about your tongue slapping your brain. It is an amazing, amazing bottle. And so he pours it out and I took a sip. And in that moment, I knew I had to go to this tiny little island and try all of the things. And and for me, that's when wine really became serious. It was more than just a, oh, I like this. You know, I want a glass on a Friday night. It was, this is a real passion. And I am so excited about all of these flavors and all of these places and all of these things I get to try. So that was probably the bottle that was the real turning point for me. I love that story because I we've talked before about how much you like Bermejo and how much you like uh, Lanzarote and all of those things are just really important. And so I just, I love getting to hear about your first time. It feels so oh, magical. It was so magical. 
Do you have a unicorn bottle? So like I said earlier, what's important to me in drinking wine is like the, the people we're with. So I remember that, like, I remember drinking wine at Christmas or at Thanksgiving with my family or things like that. And the, the bottle that came to, to mind was we were having Thanksgiving probably um, at my aunt and uncle's house in San Diego. And they had um, some champagne just as like a, as a starter drink uh, before actual, before actual uh, dinner and actual wine. They were my like, people. Have, yeah. They were just like, let's just have some champagne to start. So I, I think it was probably Verve Clicquot and we just like, I drank it and was like, oh, I could drink that. Like, I don't need to move on to another wine. Like I could drink this. <laughs> I'd like, <laughs> give me the bubbles. <laughs> yeah. So those are the the moments again, where it's like you get several bottles going and you are just standing around the kitchen, talking, chatting, and then sitting around a table with, you know, people that you care about. And that's just wine is something I associate with happy gatherings. And, you know, I feel like every time that I'm hanging out with my mom or hanging out with you or at holidays, wine is just something that for me enhances the experience. I love that. And I think that that's really important too, in terms of, you know, thinking about wine as a shared experience. Uh, One, it's such a referential thing. Anne and I are going to taste a bottle in a bit here, and I guarantee you we're going to have some different reads on it Uh, because it's all about what your palate knows and what it's what it's experienced and where it's been but it's also wine is about a mood and a story and who you're with when you enjoy those bottles is such a huge part of it or how you felt in that moment I mean even today when I pop open a bottle of Bermejos if I close my eyes and the wind blows just right I am convinced I am there And that is the power of a really great wine is to be able to transport you to those referential moments. And so um, we're hoping that we find a few of those uh, transport worthy bottles on this podcast. I am just super excited to go down this rabbit hole. So let's, let's get to it. Cheers. Cheers. All right, Drea, what are we drinking today? So I'm really excited about this bottle for our inaugural episode. And selecting something for today, I wanted to pick out a bottle that kind of captured both of our interests a little bit and said something about who we are as humans, but also that was appropriate for this time of year. So we're in this kind of in-between space where it's not really full-blown winter, it's not yet fully spring, um, and thinking about a variety that is pretty timeless, easy drinking, something that's going to go well across the spectrum. So you know what? Everyone loves a rosé. And rosé is a good celebratory wine. It's a fun wine. It's a wine that you can drink with friends. It's a wine that you can drink alone in a corner. It's just an all-around good time. It doesn't matter. But this bottle is pretty cool. So our first wine is the Kelby James Russell Rosé of Cabernet Franc. 
And it's actually from the Finger Lakes, which is in upstate New York. So I thought, well, we're getting into springtime in California where, you know, you want that solid porch pounding rosé. But my girl Anne is all the way over in New York. So let's get something that kind of encompasses both of these places. And this is the 2019 Rosé. So it's a pretty young wine. And it's also a pretty young winery that we're going to look at. So let's just kind of talk basics to, to get into it. The price point for this bottle is really approachable. It's if you're purchasing it in New York, I think like retail at the vineyard, it's about $16 and you can probably find it locally in in your wine stores in the greater New York area. And then it ranges, you know, further out into like the low 20s. So I actually picked it up at one of my favorite local natural wine stores here in San Diego called Clo, And I paid $20 for the bottle. So it's a really good approachable price point for the, the finesse of the winemaking, I think. Um, it's a pretty small vineyard that this one is coming out of. Uh, they produce about 640 cases a year. So, you know, it's not like your big giant producers that you see in the wine aisle in your grocery store. Um, this is definitely something you're going to want to go to a specialty shop for more. And in particular, if you're lucky enough to have a natural wine store, you're going to find something like this. So really beautiful color. I just want to point it out. It's like this, this gorgeous sort of strawberry. um, I feel like it almost has like a golden tint to it. Almost like a really light blood orange color. It's definitely a darker rosé. And so let's let's talk a little bit about the color of a rosé. So last night we were, I was drinking with my family and we were talking about rosé and, you know, there were a lot of theories for where the color of a rosé comes from. Um, and do you have any theories? I've got a couple. I think it is the, it's the skin contact, right? With the grape, like the, the skin of the grape and the wine in the, in the process. That's where that comes from, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So there, there are no pink grapes. Um, it is not typically a mix of like a red wine and a white wine. That was going to be my next guess. This, the color comes from skin contact. And so when the grapes are starting their tank process, you know, if you leave the skins in, that's what gives the grapes the color or the wine, excuse me, the color ultimately. So for a rosé, Cobb Franc is a red grape and the skins being left on are what's going to give it that beautiful kind of deep strawberry, light blood orange color. Rosés typically have anywhere from two to 20 hours of skin contact. And the longer the contact, obviously the darker the rosé. So this one was probably closer to eight or 10 hours, I'm going to say, because it is a pretty rich color. Unlike some of the rosés you see coming out of like Provence, which are almost that really light. Yeah, like um, you can barely tell it's... Yeah. Yeah. So um, this one's got a little more oomph to it. 
I actually learned about skin contact from one of the one of our travels together. You introduced me to an orange wine and I had never that was not a kind of wine that I knew about, but I absolutely fell in love. And that was how I learned about like skin contact being the being the feature. And so I sort of made that assumption with with rosés as well, that they were a similar process to those orange wines. Absolutely. And I love a funky orange wine. We will definitely have an episode featuring an orange wine, probably sooner rather than later, because already I'm just like salivating. I want one right now. And I'm drinking this bottle of rosé. But you know, what can you what are you what are you tasting in this bottle? What should we be looking for? Uh, Well, let's see, I just opened it. So I'm getting my initial feel for it here. You know, I let well, maybe let's talk a little bit about the tasting process. Uh, you don't want to just, I mean, listen, glug, glug, glug. There, there are always circumstances where you just need to crack open that baby and chug her down. I hear you, I feel you, I get it. Welcome to my Thursdays. But if you're if you're sitting down with some intentionality and you want to taste a wine there's a little bit of pre-work to do before you take that glug 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 so the first is color right and we've talked about that with this bottle a little bit already um, and we will also be posting an image of the bottle um, and the label for you on our Instagram feed so you can follow along um, and check out this bottle and this producer but Uh, The color here is, you know, a really deep blush with hints of strawberries, uh, hints of blood orange, a slight golden hue. And if you want to be real fancy about looking at color, the trick is to hold your glass and tilt it up against a white surface because that's going to give you a true read on the color. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing, which is so important to the experience of tasting, and this is why you should not rush in necessarily to a new bottle, is the aroma. And so, or what we call the nose of the wine. What does it smell like? Like that sensory experience of smell is so powerful in wine tasting and it's where a lot of your reference is going to come from and it's going to give you a sense of some of the notes you might pick up on in the wine so uh, you want to give it a swirl to kind of activate all those little sensory notes and then take a deep whiff So I'm curious, Anne, what do you smell? I don't know that this is an actual smell, but I'm getting a smell of springtime. That is like the big takeaway for me here is like this smells so fresh and so light and so like, like I'm ready to be out on the porch, which it's way too cold for here. But I'm like, that's the feeling I'm getting. It just smells fresh and lovely and light and I don't know, maybe I'm getting strawberry, but maybe I'm getting confused with the color. Yeah, I definitely think that there's some some light strawberry, certainly. And that is very, strawberries are very reminiscent of spring, especially here in California. 
all the strawberry fields start populating around this time of year and the strawberries you get tend to be a little bit smaller but and they have a really mellow uh flavor that has a light tartness to them which you kind of feel in this wine with the scent i'm also getting some really nice floral notes yeah like star jasmine um just that 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 almost sweet nuttiness um, that early spring florals have that bloom in the early mornings. So I feel that. And then I also noticed some hints, some, some more herbal hints. So like a sweet basil, a very light uh, scent of thyme coming in the back, maybe a trace of um, honey on the finish when you take a good whiff. And so certainly I think all of those things equate with smelling like springtime. And so when you take a good whiff, you start to activate all of those perceptions. So after we take a good whiff of this, what's the next part of the process? So the next part is to put it in your mouth. But (laughs) I do recommend some, some, you know, do you want to Do another little swirl. And one of the things about wine tasting is there are kind of like two, not rules, because I don't like rules, but there are two recommendations, shall we say. You want to accomplish two things when you taste a wine for actual like tasting purposes versus the glug, glug, glug purposes. The first is you want to let some air into your mouth while you're tasting it that's going to help with the oxidation of the wine and bring out and activate that flavor profile. So, you know, sometimes if you're at wine tasting, like at a wine bar or the vineyard, someone will be tasting and it almost sounds like they're slurping it. And you're probably like, oh, what a rude bastard that what they're actually doing is as they're sipping it, allowing the air to come into their mouth. And then you, it's almost like rolling your R's in Spanish when you speak Spanish a little bit, you want to kind of invite that air in a little bit so that it mixes with the wine and activates all those flavors. The second thing you want is to allow the wine to cover and circulate within your entire mouth. And so you want to have, you want to experience wine, not just on the tip of your tongue, but on the sides and the back so that it's hitting all of those different flavor zones so you can get a true read on the balance. So you really want the wine to coat your mouth. First impressions, what have you got? Sweetness, lightness again, and that acidity, like which feels very obvious to say about wine, but those are sort of the things that are kind of coming up for me immediately. Yeah, I mean, I think this, so one, despite the color on this wine, which again, edges toward the, towards the darker end of the rosés, it, it's really light in body. Um, it is an extremely like easy drinking wine that way it doesn't have a heavy feel in your mouth the texture is very crisp part of that comes from it being a pretty young bottle and acid wise this is definitely like what i would categorize as medium acid wine so you definitely taste that acidity but 
for me, the acidity also gives way to some citrus uh, like flavors Mm -hmm. in the tasting. So I get um, some Meyer lemon, some like lime zest. Um, There's, you know, there's a zippiness, I'd like to say to this particular rosé. And then I think it's actually really fruit forward, which is where some of that that sweetness is coming from. So for me, I'm getting really early spring strawberries, you know, the kind that still have a little bit of green close to the top and some some watermelon and honeydew uh, in the background there in the finish. Delicious. So that's what I'm tasting. I don't know if anyone else is tasting that, but that's the fantasy I've built for myself in my mind. I love it. I love it. So you picked this wine in part because of the winemaker. What what did you like about him or them? What's interesting to you about who's making this wine? So yeah, I did a little research and Kelby James Russell is not only the name of the label, but it's the name of the winemaker. And I was able to do a little bit of research on him and found out he's a pretty cool dude, in addition to making good wines. And so he's a really young winemaker, actually, who's from the Finger Lakes area originally. He studied at Harvard, and I think he studied economics and government there. And when he finished, was kind of like, well that and went back to the Finger Lakes region to start his own wine career. And so uh, his love of wine, like so many of us, I think, and certainly for Anne and I, was really born out of his experiences traveling. So when he was at Harvard, he actually studied abroad in Italy and found that while he was there, supposedly studying economics and government, he was way more interested in the culinary and wine scene, which, I mean, honestly, can we blame him? Particularly in Italy, I think everyone's more interested in Italian wine and Italian food than Italian government. He was really inspired by his time there. And when he graduated, he decided that this was his calling. He began working at various winemakers, in the Finger Lakes area, including the Nut Road Vineyard, which is actually owned by another bodega, um, but which is where this particular Cobb Franc is grown. And while he was working at different wineries out there, he was also continuing to travel. So he started taking yearly uh, vacations to work harvest in different parts of the world, and in particular in the Southern Hemisphere. So he worked pretty extensively in uh, New Zealand, Australia. I think he was in Argentina for a while and learned a lot about traditional methods of winemaking and natural winemaking. So it was that style that he really wanted to take back when he started his own label and be inspired by those wines that he had been working on when he was on his his wine um, vacations, as he calls them. So the bottle that we're drinking, the Kelby James Russell Cobb Franc Rosé, 
we're we have the 2019 release but the first bottle was really or the first vintage was released in 2016 and when he made that bottle he said given my long love affair with rosé there was never any doubt what the first wine would be and i just really loved that sentiment about the wine because one i think that you know rosé does get a little bit of hate as kind of like the basic bitch but there are a lot of really great rosés out there too and for me personally rosé was kind of my gateway drug into orange wines and white wines cuz i was primarily a red drinker for a very long time so you know, I like that he's really elevating this varietal and making it really special. Um, and two, Cobb Franc is very much identified with that Finger Lakes region. So this particular region where the Kelby James Russell comes from, the vineyard itself is located on the northwest side of Seneca Lake. Uh, so mm-hmm. for those of you who are familiar with the region, this gives you a little bit of an idea geographically. And this particular vineyard only plants two varietals. They plant Cabernet Franc and Riesling. And so this one um, is a really good representation of what's coming out of that area. So if you were going to pair this wine with a meal, what would you pair it with? You know, this wine is such an easy spring sipper. I... I would love to have this with just a full-on smorgasbord of sushi. Ooh. Yeah. So, you know, specialty rolls, vegan sushi, whatever you, whatever your sushi desire is. I just think between the sticky rice and the savory sea- seaweed notes and um, like the ponzu and the accoutrements and the crunchiness, I'm into it. That's a really good answer. I think I would go uh, like a basic bitch and try to try to pick up on something that like reflects the lightness of this wine. So I think I'd probably go for something like a salad with some citrus included. And I think I'd look for something with avocado because I just feel like that sort of rich, oily flavor would go really well. So what situation would you drink this? Would you drink this wine with? So for me, this is, and maybe it's just like the state of mind that I'm in and also the physical state that I'm in, but this is a wine that I really want to drink when it's a cool spring day and, you know, please forgive my California privilege, but when it's like 62, 63 and sunny, but I really want it to be warmer out. Like I can taste that first hint of late spring and I want it to be here now. So this is, you know, a wine I would definitely like sit out on my deck with. Uh, go through a stack of magazines, get a little vitamin D. It's an easy drinker, but it's interesting enough that the flavor is going to keep you invested and it would, it would pair really well with food still. How about you? I have a cousin who every summer does like uh, a rosé sort of uh, fiesta, I guess. So she just like consistently drinks rosés across the summer and then sort of records what she's drinking. So I would love to be able to 
go to her house and take this as a gift and just hang out and and drink rosé. I'd love to be able to introduce her to this this bottle. I have a movie. I think you have a book though. So I would pair this with Jane Austen. I feel like this wine would drink really well with like Sense and Sensibility or Emma. Pride and Prejudice is probably a little too like spicy, but I think Emma, Sense and Sensibility, it's, it just has that like floral, beautiful feeling. So I think Jane Austen all the way. Jane Austen is probably my recommendation for everything though. So take that with a grain of salt. We're going to keep tabs on how many times Anne pairs wine with Jane Austen. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your movie? Uh, So Anne has been telling me that I need to watch, is it Star and Barb or Barb and Star? Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Mar. And I feel like this is a wine that would just pair well with that. I've seen the trailers. You know, this wine is kind of zippy. It's fun. It's easy. Um, I'm not going to lie, though. I'm probably also going to drink this wine when I watch the Oprah interview with Harry and Meghan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a good wine for some like light cheese. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like this wine perfectly encapsulates Barb and Star. I feel like it's a perfect addition to an interview with Meghan and Harry. Excellent choices. Thank you. I try. I really try to diversify my interest. So if you were going to, if there was music you were going to pair with this wine, what would your music selection? I want to drink this rosé listening to ambient indie while lying poolside somewhere. I feel like that's a whole vibe, one that I really want to be part of. I love it. I love it. Here's to poolside. Here's to full size. So what's our next wine? So our wine is a pick from the West Coast. And it is the pick because Anne and I have actually tasted there together. So we will be drinking the Gallivanter, which is a red blend from Donkey and Goat. And we'll be hitting up the 2019 Vintage. They also sell online. So check them out if you want to taste with us. If you do want to purchase the Kelby James Russell and support this awesome um, winemaker from upstate New York, you can get your bottle at Red Newt Cellars, and that's www.rednewtcellars.com. They do ship nat- nationwide with a few exceptions, so you just want to make sure that they ship to your state. And along those lines, if you drink it, if you have some tasting notes, if you're drinking other rad things and you want us to drink them too... Hit us up on our social media. We are always looking for new ideas, new bottles, new regions. You can follow us on Instagram at two girls and a great pod, all spelled out. So that's T W O, girls and a great pod. And we will be posting images of the wines we're drinking and what's going on in wine world. You can also tweet us at two girls and a grape and that's the number two girls and a grape and then finally you can email us at two girls and a grape pod same as our instagram at gmail.com so tell us what you're drinking um send your request and if you try the kelby james let us know what you think and we're a new podcast and we're looking to grow. So if you enjoyed this, give us a like, subscribe to us, find out what we're drinking next time, and we'll see you then. 
Uh, cheers, Drea. Cheers, Anne, and cheers to all of you. Thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait for our next class. Salud. Salud. Salud.